Surely the eyes of the sovereign Lord are on the sinful kingdom. I will destroy it from the face of the earth. Yet I will not totally destroy the descendants of Jacob, declares the Lord. For I will give the command, and I will shake the people of Israel among all the nations, as grain is shaken in a sieve, and not a pebble will reach the ground. All the sinners among my people will die by the sword. All those who say, disaster will not overtake or meet us. In that day, I will restore David's fallen shelter. I will repair its broken walls and restore its ruins, and will rebuild it as it used to be, so that they may possess the remnant of Edom and all the nations that bear my name, declares the Lord, who will do these things. The days are coming, declares the Lord, when the reaper will be overtaken by the plowman and the planter by the one treading grapes. New wine will drip from the mountains and flow from all the hills, and I will bring my people Israel back from exile. They will rebuild the ruined cities and live in them. They will plant vineyards and drink their wine. They will make gardens and eat their fruit. I will plant Israel in their own land, never again to be uprooted from the land I have given them says the Lord your God. This is the word of the Lord from Amos 9, 8 through 15. Amen. Thank you. You may be seated. I love a great sea rescue story. This is the story of the British ship, the HMS Argyll, which was returning to the UK after nine months at sea when it received a mayday call. And the mayday call that it received was, was one of a very different kind. It was not a British military emergency, but it was a foreign civilian one. The mayday call came from the Italian merchant vessel, the Grande America. It had caught fire in the Bay of Biscay and was more than 150 miles away from land. And as you can see, the fire overtook the Grande America quickly and it began to sink. And so the entire crew had to abandon ship and they got into that orange lifeboat vessel. If you've ever seen the movie Captain Phillips, you can picture that in your mind. The whole crew had to get into the lifeboat vessel, but as it was dropped into the water, it was damaged. Again, they're 150 miles from shore, and so they were stranded, and they had to have help. So the call went out, and the HMS Argyle was, in fact, nearby, but between the Argyle and the Grande America was a fierce nighttime swell, a huge storm that was producing waves that were, were like walls. They were up to 18 feet high. And so as the, the big military ship got nearby, it was just too dangerous to use that ship to rescue the lifeboat. And so the commander of the HMS Argyle, David Groves, had to get in one of their smaller sea boats. We like to call them the dinghy boats, right? Had to get in one of the smaller boats, and he and a small crew got into the water. There wasn't enough room to be able to bring the, the, those from the Grande America from the lifeboat onto their boat. And so slowly, over a period of four hours, with waves up to 18 feet high, they pushed the boat to safety. And Commander Groves, looking back on this when he received his, his award medal from the Queen, 
He said, in all of my life, I've never faced such dangerous conditions. But all working together, the entire crew of the Grande America was saved. It's a great story. But it makes me think, as we finish up the book of Amos today, what might have happened if the little, the little boat from the HMS Argyle had arrived at the lifeboat of the Grande America, and those who were inside the lifeboat would have said, no thanks. You know, you're, you're here to save us, but, but we, we really think we're good. We can save ourselves. We'll figure this out. Or what if they had said to them, you know, we appreciate that you've come to save us, but we'd rather be saved a different way. We don't really like the method that you're offering. So, so thanks, but no thanks. We're, again, we'll, we'll find another way. We'll figure this out. What, what if they had rejected the immediate, clearly uh, heaven-sent salvation that they needed in that moment just because they wanted to do it differently? It's ridiculous. It's nonsense. Obviously, they were in a situation where they, they had to receive. That was the only salvation available for them. And yet the truth is of, of this book that we've been reading, nine chapters in now, God has said to his people in Israel in the clearest terms over and over again, there is salvation available. You don't have to meet the destruction. Maybe we could say it this way. You don't have to stay on the burning, sinking ship and ride it all the way to the bottom. And yet it's as if the people of Israel are constantly saying to the message of truth that Amos is delivering from God, no thanks. We'll figure this out on our own. Or we've already outsmarted God and, and we're following these other gods and worshiping these other idols. And, and if you haven't noticed, we've become very prosperous. We've become very wealthy. We're very secure. We're, we're a very powerful nation. We don't need him anymore. No thank you. And again and again throughout this book, we find not one moment where just one person says yes to the Lord's offer of salvation through the process of repentance. No, they would rather find it in a different place. We have also talked throughout this book about how many similarities there are between the people of Amos's day and the people of our day. And we've talked from the beginning of this book that yes, Amos has some critical things to say to people outside of the community of faith. But listen to me, the better part of the eight chapters of this book that we've read these last eight weeks is inside the community of faith. It is a message from God directly to his people saying all of those evil things you complain about on the outside, they have made their way inside the community. And if you don't abandon your idols... If you don't repent of your sins, if you don't stop looking for salvation in any other place except for what God is offering to you, the same destruction you're wishing on your enemies is the destruction you will face yourselves. We don't have to ride the burning, sinking ship all the way to the bottom. But we are living in times inside and outside the church where many people just seem willing to do that very thing. And so I pray and have been praying for us today as we have one more opportunity to, to be in this book, to close out this letter of prophecy, of a letter from God's own voice to his covenant people then and now, that we would remember there is no other way to salvation. Jesus Christ has fulfilled for us 
in a way Amos could have never understood the, the offer of God's salvation that we don't have to meet a destructive end. And that if we feel, even in this moment, maybe you feel today like you're drowning, like everything around you is on fire, like all of the, the evil and darkness around you is, is collapsing on top of you, there is a way out. But we, even inside the church, make the mistake of looking for salvation in places from whence salvation cannot come. We might look to politics. We might look to relationships. We might be like the people of Amos' day. We might look to wealth. We might look to power. We might put too much trust in our security, comfort. Or here's the thing we all do. We put way too much confidence in self. But today, I pray for all of us that we would abandon those things, including the idols of our own lives, and hear the clarion call from God once again, calling us to the way of salvation and the way of obedience. I also want to mention as we get into these first verses, where we ended last week, I think is a reminder we need to have at the beginning. That Amos has also given us a clear call if we have influence over other people. And again, I'm speaking to those of us inside the community of faith. Those of us who are parents, those of us who are grandparents, or any of us who have somebody that God's given us some responsibility or influence over, and, and we say, as God's covenant people, we're a part of his community of faith. There is no other foundation upon which God's people should build their lives and upon which we should build our homes than the word of God and the truth of God. And where Amos finishes this out to the people, it's, it's not a call to something new that they've never heard before. It's a call back to faithfulness and obedience and standing upon the word of God. And we remember, I hope, because we've said it several weeks in a row now, one of God's truths that resonates through this ancient book of Amos is that God is never mocked. And ultimately, a person reaps what a person sows. Verse 8 of this last chapter is a reminder of a clear message in Amos that those who sow injustice and unrighteousness will reap destruction. If you sow the things of injustice unrighteousness sin evil idolatry those things that only lead to destruction that ultimately is what you will reap and verse 8 makes it so clear that god is not mocked that nothing and no one escapes god's view as amos says surely the eyes of the sovereign lord are on the sin sinful kingdom if the people of Israel in the northern kingdom thought that somehow what they were doing was escaping God's view or that they had outsmarted him or that he wasn't paying attention or had not noticed their idolatry, their injustice, and their sin, Amos says, surely the eyes of the sovereign Lord himself are on the sinful kingdom. And if you go back to the beginning of this chapter, verses 1 through 4, I won't put them on the screen, but this is the, the final vision that Amos sees. In these last few verses or last few chapters, Amos has seen several visions. He's seen the vision of the plague of locusts. He's seen the vision of, of fire from the heavens destroying the land. 
And then after he asks God for mercy, he sees a vision of a plumb line, a measuring tool through, through which God says, I will measure out my judgment. And then last week we saw the vision that, that Amos received of a basket of fruit, but it was not the fruit of blessing and prosperity. It was the bitter fruit of judgment that Amos saw. And here at the beginning of chapter 9, Amos sees a final vision. He sees the Lord standing by the altar in the temple. God is in the holy place where his own people have been profaning his holy name. And the vision that Amos sees is of the tops of the pillars being struck. And they begin to shake. And God says of his holy place, bring down the walls, which is going to happen. Within a few generations, the, the temple of its, itself of God in Jerusalem is going to be destroyed. But so also will the temples in the northern kingdom in places like Dan and Bethel. They will be destroyed. And this idea that the eyes of the Lord miss nothing. No one escapes his view. Listen to some of these verses from the beginning of this chapter. Though they dig down to the depths below... From there my hand will take them. Though they climb up to the heavens above, from there I will bring them down. Though they hide themselves on the top of Carmel, there I will hunt them down and seize them. Though they hide from my eyes at the bottom of the sea, there I will command the serpent to bite them. Though they are driven into exile by their enemies, there I will command the sword to slay them. I will keep my eye on them for harm and not for good. Surely the eyes of the sovereign Lord are on the sinful kingdom. And what is it that God has seen? As the eyes of the sovereign Lord lay bare the souls of his people. Just as for us today, the eyes of the sovereign Lord, he sees us. He sees everything about us as individuals, as a community, as a people. And what is it that the Lord sees in us, knowing that nothing is hidden from his sight. Well, here's what God saw in the people of Israel. He saw their idolatry. From chapter 2, because they have rejected the law of the Lord and have not kept his decrees, instead they have been led astray by their false gods, the same gods their ancestors followed. God saw their idols, and God sees our idols too. And though we don't have in our worship space altars built to false gods, we, we don't have statues of, of metal, of stone, of wood that we bow down and worship. We don't have that here like the people in Israel had as Amos was prophesying. We, we have our idols. And we have some of the same ones. We, we're driven to put our faith and trust in, in political power. We're driven to put our faith and trust in, in money. We're driven to put our faith and trust in ourselves. It doesn't matter what it is. When we trust in anything else above the Lord our God, or when we make as a priority in our hearts and lives anything or anyone else besides the Lord our God, we too are committing idolatry. God saw their idols. God sees ours. And his word to us is the same as his word to them. Reject them. Lay them down. Do not worship them any longer. They will only lead you to destruction, and they will never lead you to the fulfillment they promise. Reject them, 
Lay them aside and return to me, declares the Lord. The eyes of the sovereign Lord also saw their injustice. Surely you remember some of these words from Amos. You have trampled on the poor and the needy. You have stomped their heads into the ground. You've cheated them. You've taxed them unfairly. You've stolen their land. And no one fights for them. In fact, the people have learned that in times like these, it's just prudent to stay silent. You have hated and persecuted those who upheld justice. You've discarded the poor in the land. You've sold the poor for silver and the needy for a pair of sandals. And throughout this book, Amos says that not only have they rejected the Lord their God, they have not loved the Lord with all their heart, soul, mind, and strength. They've also not loved their neighbor as themselves. They've turned a blind eye to injustice. They've perpetrated injustice. And in cases where the poor were targeted and those who could not defend themselves could not defend themselves, there was no one among God's people to stand up and say, that's not right. We also, as the sovereign Lord sees us, have been guilty of overlooking injustice. And we live in a culture that often demands justice for some, but not for all. Justice for me, but not for you. And I love this quote about the people in Amos's day. I actually hate the quote, but it's right on the money. The people of Israel looked at people and they saw things. They looked at their neighbor and they only thought of themselves. We live in times where that is the temptation. And that is the attitude of many. To thumb up our nose at the word justice unless it's justice for me. To not stand firm for those who are the most vulnerable, whether they're pre-born or they've been born. To not consistently say, as God's people, we believe our God is a God of justice and righteousness, and so should we be people of justice and righteousness. And God says to his people who looked at people and saw things and looked at their neighbor and thought only of themselves, you're going to get what you deserve. Verse 8, I will destroy the sinful kingdom from the face of the earth. Now listen, that's what they deserve. But then what does God say in the very next verse he will do? They deserve to be destroyed from the face of the earth. But what God says he will do is I will not do it. I will not totally destroy the descendants of Jacob, declares the Lord. He's made promises to Abraham. He's made promises to Isaac. He's made promises to Jacob. And God says, though you deserve to be destroyed from the face of the earth, I will not give you what you deserve. Or we might say it this way, though you deserve to be destroyed from the face of the earth, I will still show you grace. And I will still offer for you salvation in the same way i've offered it from the very beginning that when you sin when you worship your idols when you hate your neighbor that you would repent that you would turn away from the path of destruction and that once again you would walk the path of obedience which is the path of life that's what god says i won't do it 
I won't totally destroy them. Instead, I'm going to give the command and I'm going to shake the people of Israel among the nations as grain is shaken in a sieve. It's another measuring tool. We have the plumb line earlier. Now we have the sieve where you, you would pick up all the grain from the threshing floor. But with the grain, you would also pick up rocks and you'd pick up useless things that were either no good to you or they might even break your teeth. And you would shake that grain in a sieve so that all that was left was that which is nourishing and brings life. And God says, that's what I will do. I will shake them like grain is shaken in a sieve and not a pebble of that which is true will reach the ground. But all the sinners among my people, those who keep saying things like, disaster will not overtake us. Disaster will not meet us. We surely won't face the consequences that God's word has said. Amos says, as the Lord speaks, those are the people, those are the sinners among my people who will die by the sword. From a plumb line to a sieve, God says, I'm going to measure out my justice and I'm going to select that will be, which is used for building up, I will keep and that which should be thrown out is that which I will throw out. Now this is, again, hard and we're used to Amos being hard. Those who sow injustice and unrighteousness will reap destruction. But I have good news for you this morning. You've been waiting for the good news of the book of Amos. As one commentator called it, we have finally come to the end of the dark night. Are you ready for the end of the dark night? Here's the good news of the book of Amos. Destruction is not the end of the story for God's covenant people. Do you believe that? Destruction is not the end of the story for God's covenant people. The end of the story for God's people is restoration and it is salvation forever and ever. Amen. And we see that in verse 11 as a, a really important name is mentioned. In that day, verse 11, I will restore David's fallen shelter. What, what you might read it this way. Some of your translations will say, will say I will restore some will say, I will repair. Others will say, I will rebuild. And the actual thing that's going to be rebuilt is David's fallen shelter, or it's his fallen hut, or it's his fallen booth, or we can say it's David's household. My, how David's household has fallen from the righteousness and obedience that it once knew. But anytime we hear David's household mentioned in the Bible, it is almost always a good thing. And the good thing here is the good news. It's the promise that through the line of David, God is going to fulfill his promise and he's going to restore. He's going to rebuild the house that has fallen and he's going to do it through the house of David. Who is the king? Sits on David's throne who is going to bring the restoration? Is it Solomon? No, Solomon's been dead for a while. Is it some of the other kings we read about in Israel or Judah? No, it's not any of them either. It's King Jesus, the son of David, who comes to us and brings 
finally the restoration the salvation the rebuilding of the house built upon the truth and the promises of god that we could not rebuild by ourselves this verse is a reminder of covenant and it is good news for the people of israel but it's also good news for the nations so that the the remnant of edom might possess the land but also all the nations who bear my name this is is good news for anybody from anywhere who will believe upon the king from david's throne for salvation jesus christ and this is the beautiful picture that amos concludes with of god's covenant promise to his covenant people what does it look like to enter a covenant promise think about what happens when you're married you enter into a covenant promise with your spouse and you make vows and each spouse says i'm going to give you my hand god gave his hand to the people of israel through his covenants with abraham isaac jacob david he gave them his hand and listen this is so important god never took his hand of promise away they were unfaithful they they went after the gods and the idols of the nations but god kept his hand of promise even though he threatened to remove it he kept his hand in place but what did humanity do what did israel do what did people do they constantly broke that covenant they removed their hand and they gave that hand to somebody else so what did god do for us the lord himself came down from heaven he put on flesh and blood he took the hand of the human side of the covenant that we had rejected that we had pulled away and he lived a perfect sinless life and he died a perfect sacrificial death on the cross and he raised us up with him so that our hands come together and we receive his salvation god did both he he fulfilled both sides of the covenant he kept his promise to us and in jesus christ he fulfilled our promise to him and all he asks for us is that we would believe in the same hope that amos proclaimed centuries ago to the people in the northern kingdom would you believe upon the hope of salvation through the line of david the salvation that is only found in jesus christ and would you not be like so many who say to god hearing of this beautiful gift of salvation no thanks i'd rather stay on the burning sinking ship and ride it all the way to the bottom or think i know better or find some other way than to simply say yes to this beautiful gift he's offered us to repent of your sins to lay down your idols to turn back towards the path of obedience to walk that path of obedience and to say just as our god is a god of righteousness and justice so are we his people at the end of this dark night there are beautiful promises that have echoes into the new testament here's what paul said about this lest we think these promises are only for the people of the northern kingdom of israel the mystery is that through the gospel the gentiles we are heirs with israel together we are members together of one body because jesus christ alone is our king 
and we are sharers together in the promise in Christ Jesus. The final words of Amos are words of restoration, replenishment, renewal, and they're even words of multiplication. Because what God promises them is not just that I'm going to restore you to the primal level. I'm going to restore you, God says, and I'm going to give you a bountiful harvest. The days are coming, declares the Lord, when the reaper will be overtaken by the plowman. It will be time to plow again and to sow, and you will reap beautiful things. The planter will be overtaken by the one treading grapes. New wine will drip from the mountains and flow from all the hills. I will bring my people Israel back from exile, and they will plant vineyards and drink their wine. They will make gardens and eat their fruit. I will plant Israel in their own land, never again to be uprooted from the land I have given them. These promises were promises for the people of Israel. They, a, a few hundred years later, got to see a little bit of this. And they were also promises of the household of David. They were promises of this restoration that Christ brought to us when the Messiah came the first time. And that's the good news we've talked about throughout this book. We know what Amos and the people of Israel didn't know. We know who the Messiah is. We know Jesus has already come. He's already made the way for us, Jew and Gentile, to be made right with God. Aren't you ready for Advent, by the way? I, didn't, I really did not intend that we would go through the book of Amos and now as we're getting closer to Advent and talking about the birth of Christ that we would, we would be at the bottom of the valley, right? And we're ready to talk about salvation. But it's not a bad thing that we're coming into Advent really, really longing for a Savior. And we're gonna celebrate him because we know the Messiah has already come. But these promises are also a promise, the same hope that we believe in today, that yes, the Messiah has come once, but he's coming again. And this time when he comes back, he is coming as the conquering king. And these promises about new wine and planting ourselves in a land and being planted in such a way that we will never again be uprooted is the promise of the finished work of Jesus Christ. When Jesus Christ comes again, and when he finishes his task, there will be no more death, there will only be life. There will be no more darkness, there will only be light. There will be no more sin, because we will live in the perfect righteousness of God, together, sharing as co-heirs in his salvation. There will be no more sickness, there will be no more pain, there will be no more evil. We will fully understand just how good our God is in that day. That's what's ahead for us. And the promises of God is that he has given to us are that we will never be uprooted. No one, nothing can snatch us from his hand. But we're still here. And while we're still here, though, yes, we can experience a bountiful harvest in our salvation right now. 
we also still live, as we began this morning, in a messed up world. In a world that feels like it is burning and, and sinking to the bottom. Amos lived in that world. Amos proclaimed truth in that world. Nobody wanted to listen. And tradition tells us that for Amos, how his story ended was one of those people who finally got tired of the message he was bringing, hit him over the head and killed him. He died a violent death. And what happened next to the people of Israel was exactly what God warned. They would not repent. And so within a generation, their nation fell. Their homes were taken. Many were exiled to Assyria. And the Assyrians came in and conquered them. And indeed, all that they held dear was lost. And all that they believed to be inassailable was destroyed but God's promises still stood and I proclaim to you from a place of faith this morning that I believe God's promises still stand and the reason I believe that above anything else above my experience above my life in church and all of these religious things that we experience Above anything else, I believe his promises still stand because of the last words of the book of Amos. Says the Lord your God. I believe this word from God is the foundation upon which to build my life and to build my home. I believe that God is good. I believe I can trust him. And I believe that his words are true. I believe that God calls all of us to take the same path that Amos proclaimed when we know we are not right with him or when we know our hearts are not right towards our neighbor. It's the path of repentance. It's doing the hard work of, uh, work of introspection, telling God, we want you to search our hearts, saying to God, whatever you reveal in us that is sinful, idolatrous, evil, unjust, wicked, unrighteous, we confess it. We want to get it out. We don't want those toxins in our lives anymore. And we want to follow you and the path of righteousness and obedience. In the book of Amos, God roars like a lion against the sin and idolatry and injustice present among his people. But thanks be to God, Jesus is also a lion. He is the lion of Judah from the house of David. And Jesus is also a lamb. He is the lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. Through Jesus Christ, we are people of justice and righteousness. And my prayer for us as individuals and as a church, as we close out this series, is that we would let justice roll on like a river and righteousness like a never-ending stream. Let's pray together. As we have our time of invitation this morning, I do want you to just go ahead and bow your heads with me. I'm going to pray in just a moment. But right now, in this moment, you have an opportunity to come to Jesus Christ, to say yes to his offer, his gift of salvation, if you're a person who has spent your whole life saying no thanks but you know today that in your heart and life you feel that sense that the walls are closing in 
Today, would you hear that word one more time that simply says from the Lord Jesus himself, come to me, confess your sins, turn away from them, and walk the path of righteousness. In just a moment, if that's you, you have an opportunity to step out today, take a bold step, and to come to Christ. Surrender your life to him. Many of you are also probably wrestling with some things as we've been going through this book and the Lord's been speaking to your heart as he's been speaking to mine. I say to you as my brother and sister in Christ, whatever it is, would you say to the Lord in advance this morning? Yes. As he's speaking to your heart, would you say, Lord, give me eyes to see, ears to hear, and yes, Lord, that's my answer. Whatever it is you're saying to me, however you're leading me, that's what I will do the Lord's leading you or your family to make any kind of decision this morning we would sure love to celebrate that with you but I'm going to pray and ask the Lord to speak to us and lead us during this time and I invite you to join me and pray and do the same and ask the Lord to speak to your heart this morning God we thank you for the truth of your word that you are good that you always keep your promises And Lord, you have made that most clear to us through Jesus Christ, through the cross, through the resurrection, and through the promise that you are coming again. I pray, Lord, today that that would be where we place our faith and that we would would be assured of our confidence in you, the sovereign Lord whose eyes miss nothing. And Lord, would you continue to mold our hearts and guide our steps that we would walk faithfully with you. In Jesus' name, amen.